duty to shine the light of truth, to bring justice to the restless souls whose lives were lost to their hands. Rise up against the evildoers of this world so that their souls may have peace. We will not surrender. We will fight. We will stand for what is right because we are the justice warriors. Hello, justice warriors. Heather Cohen here. And I'd like to bring you some updates about my, my investigation into the wrongful conviction of Gary Sutton. Many of you already know that I've been working this case for a little over two years. I've done a couple podcasts about this already, but for those of you who don't feel like going back to the first podcast, I'll go ahead and do a little recap. This case is about the murder of Tommy Griffin and Connie Branham, that of which my client Gary Sutton has been wrongfully convicted of and is currently facing execution because of he has been sitting on death row for 30 years. Through my investigation, I believe that I have figured out who committed this crime and why. And I'm going to share that with you. We also have a special guest that will be joining joining us here in a little bit. So hang tight. I'm going to go ahead and recap this case for you. On February 24th, 1992, Tommy Griffin was found shot to death on the riverbanks of Blount County, Tennessee. His sister, Connie Branham, who had gone out looking for him after he didn't return home that night, was found burned alive in her vehicle just four days later in Sevier County, Tennessee. Witnesses for the state testified that they had seen Griffin at Howie's Hideaway, a local bar with Gary Sutton and James Dillinger that night. As a matter of fact, Sutton and Griffin were close friends and they could often be found frolicking around town as many men their age did. However, on this particular evening, after an altercation at the bar with two men known only as Chief and Cowboy, Griffin ended up going his own way and was later arrested for public intoxication. Upon his arrest, the arresting officer noted that Griffin seemed scared, but he wouldn't tell him why he was afraid or what had happened. He also noted that Griffin was with two older gentlemen driving a dark colored truck. These men have never been identified, but we know for a fact that it was not Gary Sutton or James Dillinger. Sutton and Dillinger ended up going to the jail and bailing Griffin out. Both men have maintained to this day that Griffin left the jail that night with a woman that he had met from the bar who had dark hair and was heavy set and was driving what they thought was a Ford Falcon. But my investigation has turned up new information that it was actually a Ford Fairlane. And the woman driving that vehicle, there were two women that drove that vehicle and one of the women drive, that drove that vehicle just so happened to be a woman that everybody knew Tommy Griffin was seeing. The state did not have any evidence tying Gary Sutton to this crime other than the gross speculation that Dillinger committed this crime and that Gary Sutton was with him the entire weekend of which the crimes allegedly occurred. Despite that Sutton had an alibi, his girlfriend Carolyn Weaver testified that she was with him during the entire time that the state claimed these crimes were occurring and that Gary was involved. 
but they dismiss that. And despite all of the discrepancies, both men were convicted for this murder and sentenced to death. Transcripts from the Sevier County trial prove that the detective lied about having eyewitnesses in order to obtain an arrest warrant. When convicted, I'm sorry, when confronted by the judge, the detective even admitted to have lied about this, but the evidence was still let in. There was no reprimand, nothing at all. The TBI agent even told the same lie for an arrest warrant in Blount County. That TBI agent was not called to testify in Blount County due to the fact that while testifying in Sevier County, he was exposed on the stand for forging another investigator's signature on a three-page statement that he claimed to have received from Gary Sutton on an unauthorized visit to the jail. And then there's illegal search warrants. Sevier County transcripts also reveal that the detective lied to the judge in order to obtain a search warrant of James Dillinger's trailer, where they allegedly found the shotgun and shells that they claim matched the shells that were found at the crime scene. But wait a minute. Those shells were not found at the crime scene until after the search warrant was served? Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? But once again, even though he was exposed for having lied for that search warrant, the judge still allowed the evidence in. And then there's the medical examiner that testified, Charles Harlan. If you don't know his name, maybe you should Google it, because I promise you, you will find plenty of information that'll make you go, hmm. The state shopped around for a medical examiner that would testify to something that matched their narrative, and they found it in Charles Harlan. Dr. Charles Harlan, who was under investigation by the TBI at the time that he testified at the trial, he gave testimony that Tommy Griffin was murdered on the night of February 21st, 1992, even though scientific evidence did not support his theory due to the fact that Griffin's body was in full rigor mortis when it was discovered on February 24th, 1992. A body does not stay in rigor mortis that long. However, the state needed to prove that Griffin was murdered on the 21st. It was the only way that they were going to be able to convict Gary Sutton because Gary had an alibi. Harlan, who is now deceased, was exposed for, for falsifying reports and was stripped of his medical license. Many of the cases that he has testified in has already been overturned, and several others are being reinvestigated with extreme measures being taken, including, but not limited to, the deceased's bodies being exhumed for further testing. Well, then there's the exculpatory evidence that was withheld and the alternate suspect. And that's where my investigation has taken me. His name was Lester Johnson. His nickname was Festus. Lester Festus Johnson, perhaps one of the most sick 
and twisted individuals to ever walk the planet from what I've seen so far. The man issued more death threats than I've ever seen. Are we to believe that a person who issues death threats doesn't have the means or the ability to follow through with those death threats? I don't think so. Lester Johnson was driving a 1976 Dodge B100. One of the key witnesses testified that she had seen a white Dodge truck fleeing the crime scene. I went and talked to that witness. And I showed her a picture of Lester Johnson's truck and I asked her, could it have been this truck? She said she wasn't sure. But when she sat on that stand, the state put her testimony forth as if she was 100% sure that the white Dodge truck she saw was the white Dodge Ram that belonged to James Dillinger. When I went and talked to her, she told me that she has lost sleep worrying that her testimony may have played a part in Gary Sutton and James Dillinger being sentenced to death. She was never sure that that was James Dillinger's white truck. And now knowing that the alternate suspect also drove a white truck, she's even less sure now. While we're at it, why don't we also talk about the other key witness that I went and interviewed who told me that he had seen a dark boxy vehicle fleeing the scene. The jury never got to hear that. When they questioned this witness on the stand, they left that part out of it. Guess what kind of vehicle would have been dark and boxy? Oh yeah, a Ford Fairlane. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? So, like I mentioned earlier, we do have a special guest with us today. And I would like for her to shed some light on the subject for you. Sit tight. Hi, Tina. This is this is Tina Hartman joining us today. And Tina, you have been the subject of some of our past podcasts about Gary Sutton. Um I think anybody that knows about this case has probably heard your name a time or two because of uh, an incident that had taken place prior to um, Gary's being arrested for the murder of Connie and Tommy. Um, you were the victim of an assault by Lester Johnson, who is the man that I believe really killed Tommy and Connie. And, um, and I would like to hear from you just, just really starting, uh, if you don't mind, if you, if, if you don't mind just starting with your experience and, and what happened to you and, um, let's just start there. Sure. Um, happy to, and I'm happy to be here with you today, Heather. I'm a fan. So I want to say first and foremost, uh, what you're doing for Gary is tremendously epic proportions. Uh, kind uh, you have to believe to put yourself out there the way that you are to see that justice is made for him. So uh, I'm happy. <laughs> I've waited a long time to tell this. Um, 
can you ask me that again? Just, just take your time. I know, I know, I know it's difficult. Um, but you know, if you want, if you want to even start all the way back, um, with, well, okay. Let me explain a little bit more. This might help you out. Okay. So in previous podcasts, we talked about an incident that happened with a man named Mike Vaughn. Um, it is my theory and belief and based on information that I've received from witnesses and documentation that Connie Branham and Tommy Griffin were murdered. Um, it all goes back to an original incident that had happened with my suspect, Lester Johnson's cousin, Mike Vaughn. Um, Mike Vaughn had been attacked. Um, his throat was slit and he had been run over by a vehicle. Um, Tina, you were there that night. And um, and that's really where all of this starts. Um, what happened to you? What happened to Connie and Tommy? All of it starts with that night. So th I think that's a great place for us to start. Let's start there. Can you talk to us just a little bit about what you witnessed that night? that Mike Vaughn um, was assaulted? Uh, yeah, I can do that. It was uh, September of 91. Um, I found Mike in the middle of the road. If you ask me, he had been left for dead because when I found him, he looked in the distance. I'm driving the car. It was dusty dark. No need for the headlights yet, but it was getting there. Little country road. And in the distance, I thought, oh, there's something in the road. It's either a really big dog or a really small deer. And I get up there and it's human. And the only way I recognize Mike, because I know Mike. And the only way I recognized him was the clothing he was wearing. Uh, he had on blue jean shorts and cowboy, I mean, in uh, construction boots and uh, he muttered something that sounded like the word car but it couldn't be made out clearly his face was unrecognizable beneath his eye was a bash gash whatever this far already discoloration disfigured and bloody from all I mean all over really uh his blood was on me, and I was a person of interest. I believe I was the only one ever detained. But I know that what pursued afterwards, he was life flighted to the hospital. And upon that, I was brisked away by the people that were there, I guess, to keep me from talking to the police or the Life Star or anyone. I couldn't understand why, if this is a someone we know, and I mean, it's one of our road dogs, why can we not help him? But well, there'd been a party going on earlier. And when I returned, it was quiet. Lights out, most of the cars gone. Mine's still there. As luck would have it. Yeah. Uh, and you had- I was, I was naive. Uh, I, I think I fell right into something because, Mike, may I be candid? Of course, please. Mike was in my car earlier that day. His father saw him leaving my car. 
I was giving him a ride because his dad couldn't. I thought I was doing him a favor. Mm -hmm. When I dropped him off, he was fine. When I got back, he was in the middle of the road. Local people didn't want to believe that. It's easier to believe something else because of shit you've been in in the past or whatever. And Mike and I I are no saints, so they knew we were partying. But when I got back, there was no party. There was one person on the porch with their pants off in a bucket of water that appeared to be bloody water. And that person had a Bible in their lap. And they were rocking back and forth at a residence the local people know all too well, which was later burned as a result. And he died. And the person rocking had a Bible saying, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Right. Let me uh, go ahead. So Mike Vaughn was left paralyzed from that incident. He was clearly... He was, he was brutally attacked. Um, he was left for dead. You found him because you found him. You ended up a person of interest and, and they essentially ended up trying to nail it on you. Um, so fast forward. Okay. Now, now we bring in Lester Johnson. Lester Johnson is Mike Vaughn's cousin and you run into Lester Johnson in Cherokee, North Carolina at a campground. Tell me about what happened there. Uh, well, what happened? Thank you. Sorry. Uh, you got to bear with me, guys. This is a uh, reliving. This is crazy, um, but it's all surreal. <laughs> uh, I didn't know at the time that. It was premeditated. I was too close to the incident. So I didn't see that three people traveled from Tennessee to North Carolina to find me. I was at a biker rally. And honestly, I was up on stage. I entered a wet t-shirt contest. Don't judge me, guys. I was 20 years old. And so uh, I was I was doing what 20-year-olds do at a biker rally. And so uh, there is someone I knew from home, Lester Johnson. Cool. I didn't know he was there to kill me. He reaches his hand out. I think uh, come down off the stage. I'm I won, by the way. Got that tattoo right there. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, uh, he held out his hand. He helped me down off stage. What a gentleman he was. And uh, talked me into going back to their campsite to party because, you know, he had party goods. Sure. I go back. I let my people go because it was raining. I didn't want to ride with them anyway. So I go and it's a Sunday. We'd just seen a concert. Everybody was winding down and gone. It was desolate almost. And uh, it was, like I said, Sunday. Well, he sends his girlfriend. She's not worth mentioning. So you all know who she is. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. But she has her car parked right in front of the bathroom and it didn't occur to me then but Festus was talking let's have a threesome uh no thanks I'm good he tried hard let me let me intervene here because um you just referred to him as Festus and I hadn't clarified at least not yet in this podcast that Lester Johnson was his nickname is Festus so go ahead Tina so Festus Lester Johnson right so um 
you know, he was always known for being uh, eccentric, but evil. <laughs> At least the people I knew that knew him. Nobody messed with him or whatever. So uh, he was trying to get me in the tent with him and his girlfriend. I, I knew her. She was a super jealous type of girl. And it was creepy. And I didn't know I was in danger until he said in verbatim, I want to know what happened to Mike. Oh, shit. Mike who? My fucking cousin, Mike Vaughn. Excuse my language. I don't know. Oh, so, it's, it's yeah, I mean, it was raw, you know. And in that moment, well, let me just say, I was a little intoxicated and buzzed because thanks, Festus. He was dropping Xanaxes in my beer all night trying to knock me out, I guess, to make his job easier. His job was to kill me. It was premeditated attempted murder. And then they got him for attempted rape, which I wanted to say, I never saw myself as a victim. Mm -hmm. I saw myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I I, uh, I knew too much. And uh, I did what I thought was the right thing. I told the police, make it what you will. I called the cops. Because there was a man laying in the middle of the road left for dead. And this is the things I get. They try to kill me. So his cousin, Lester Festus, has tr went to all this trouble now to get two people, two females to ride with him in case he needed me to be coerced, I guess. And uh, the three of them travel over there to get me in this out-of-the-way campground, El Jua campground. We were at Wolf, and they moved me from Wolf to El Jawa. And of course, I don't know why. I'm not even, I'm fine. There's a party. Woohoo. Well, we, he sends them on a beer run. It's Sunday. They don't sell beer here on Sunday, especially in 1991. Two, it was one. It was 91. And so, no. Oh, it was 91. It was 91. Yeah. You know, and I know what we're, where we're going with that. Okay. But, so uh, he sends them on beer, and I knew something was wrong. He had mentioned Mike. My heart dropped. You know, I was like, oh, shit. And you don't know. I'd already been through it. Threats and people. Well, I'm like, you guys are focusing on the wrong. I was there, yes. And I may have my suspicion. I pretty much know in my heart. I didn't watch it go down. I didn't see it. But I know who was there when I left, and I know what I saw when I got back. And I know who held me in the woods at gunpoint. To keep me from talking. Okay. So after all of this happens. I don't know that Festus is his cousin. Until this. So I try to buy some time. Because I know shit's about to get real. I can feel it. And for the first time I was I was scared. And uh, I go. And I make up an excuse. And I'm sorry for the gentleman listening. It's not ladylike. But uh, I used uh, my time of the month as a reason to buy some time. I said, I need to go to the shower. I'll do the threesome, but let me go to the bathroom, get a shower. Let me get cleaned up. Okay. Well, that was probably the, I thought it was a great idea. Retrospect. It was horrible because the knife come to find out had been pre placed in the bathroom by his girlfriend. And I was in stall number two. When Festus approached the shower. It was an open, I've got pictures if y'all care to see, but uh, I'll, put the, the pictures. I'll put the pictures in the video so everybody can okay. see them. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Um, so he walks in and at first I think he's there for a sexual advance and I, I can handle that. I'm not scared like that. It was the name and the look that let you know danger was in the, so before I know he's stripped naked and, uh, if they've got kids, they probably don't, this is about to get pretty raw, but he, uh, put comes into the I'll put an explicit warning on it. Don't worry. Just, just tell it like it is. What it was, was he was there to get a blow job and I wasn't giving it. So, uh, I thought, well, you know, even a murderer has to have time to get some sort of satisfaction. Well, he wasn't getting it there. And he grabbed me and he, we struggled and he got me in another stall. Okay. So now we find out later that that's because that's where the knife was. I know he didn't have a knife in his hands because I was in his hand. He, I can't tell you, Heather, everything that ensued at, from that moment on. Because I, it was fight or flight, and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna run. And uh, I was naked in a shower. So he grabs me and kind of forces me down as uh, to perform oral sex, you know. And uh, it wasn't going. I thought he smacked me for not doing it. And uh, when I stood up, I kind of in exasperation, you know, like. <gasps> kind of tripping out I guess and when my hand was sticky and I looked down oh shit it was blood and I I guess I flipped out mm -hmm. um but not as much as that little bitch did because he sat down he sat down my puddle of blood but not before he stepped in it as the pictures will show oh it gets great I couldn't make this shit up Heather <laughs> I couldn't so if the police weren't all over this and messing it up from, I can, and if you want to know, I can give you detailed and show you on paper, detailed reasons, not a conspiracy theory. This is life. This is real shit. And about 13 people are dead to prove it. Probably if they cared to look, if anybody cares to know, yeah. do your homework. It's a lot there. of, a lot of people, a lot of people died 13, as you say. Um, and that's including Tommy and Connie, right? Yes. A lot of people right. died as yeah. a result and of when these James events. And Gary, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, good point. Because while James and Gary were sitting in prison for something they didn't do, people are still being killed for the same shit. And just disappearing. They're not even necessarily dead. Oh, disappearing. Ah, hell, they're on vacation. They don't have no money. Where'd they go? How'd they get there? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, we know what we know. But it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. And you, some people, in this case, die doing it or die trying. Died, so, because they knew, died because they knew the truth. Yeah. And, you know, which brings me to this network we're going to, have to talk more uh, i know you got other stuff pressing today and i was late and i apologize but there's so much and uh i tried to tell i want gary to know and i want the people to know i 20 something years ago when they found me out in new mexico and when they found me here and there whatever i tried to present this file I, i've read and i thought it's not a missing file it ain't missing i know just where it is it was given to me, and I won't name the person because their job could be on the line, but they knew the truth, and it was in North Carolina, the State Bureau of Investigators over there, and it, one of their wonderful team, because they fought tooth and nail for me, and I know I'm jumping, 
but it was all there. We were two weeks sequestered, and I thought, no way in hell this dude's walking. I saw his mother, and if y'all knew his mother, I mean, no disrespect. I'm a mom. But I saw the look in her eyes in the courtroom that day. She knew it was more than likely he's guilty of what he's being accused. That's her boy, and she knows him. She was scared for him. I saw the same look in her so, eyes at the funeral home. So I'm going to... Well, we'll in that. I'll I'll add all the pictures so everybody can see, you know, a little bit of what you went through. But um, but Lester Johnson was found not guilty because of a, a hung jury. One juror who we believe had gotten to, been paid off, been threatened, or whatever. Absolutely, one, I remember one, the day. One juror. Um, That's right. Two week trial. Now, yeah. Two-week trial, we were sequestered. The DA came off the case, mid-case. My doctor that sewed me up, they tried to get her disbarred. She was wonderful. She sewed my head back. I was a bride of Frankenstein. And, uh, I mean, there's just a whole nother thing. But that day that Tommy and Connie were supposed to be in court, I want to know something. Why did the officials never serve them, or did they? Why were they out looking for each other dead when they were supposed to be in North Carolina in court. No right. mention of well, that ever. And, and that's something that I need to explain right here because I know anybody listening is going to be confused about that. Tommy Griffin and Connie Branham, the victims of this murder that is the subject of this podcast. I mean, there, there's a lot of little side stories, a lot of little side subjects, but the main subject of this podcast is the murder of Tommy Griffin and Connie Branham, which... Uh, Gary Sutton and James Dillinger were wrongfully convicted for. Um, Tommy and Connie, the victims of this murder, were subpoenaed to testify for the state in in convicting Lester Johnson of this crime against Tina Hartman. And they did not show. Why did they not show? At this point, we don't know, but... They did not show up to that. In the meantime, you have Lester Johnson sitting in jail. We have a statement uh, from his son, Shane Thornton, who has committed suicide. Um, yep, there, there we've got, this is Tina um, in the hospital having her, her uh, throat sewn up after having it slipped by Lester Johnson. And, and it was very clear when that happened that that was about the attack on Mike Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, so and right here, the women's bathroom is where they found him. He was in there washing up when they served him a warrant. Your photograph right. shows him. He's holding the warrant in his hand after he washed in the women's bathroom, blood after, everywhere. After cutting your throat. And he still walks. And why did he okay. walk? Even the district attorney who was prosecuting that case made a comment, a statement that Lester Johnson was the most dangerous man that she had ever tried to prosecute. He threatened to kill her. He was sending death threats through his son, Ch Shane Thornton, yeah. who I just mentioned has committed suicide. He's no longer with us, but before he committed suicide, he provided a statement to James Dillinger's defense at the Nashville Defender's Office. And in that statement, he told them that that his father was using him to issue threats. In fact, we even have copies 
of letters that 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 Lester Johnson was giving him to deliver from from prison. So you have this man who's or not from prison, but from jail. So you have this man yeah. who's sitting in jail awaiting a trial for slitting this woman, Tina Hartman's throat. And while he's sitting in there and he knows he's facing 40 years. Five months. Five months he waited. For five months while he's sitting in jail awaiting trial, he is issuing death threats to all of the witnesses. And guess who two of those witnesses were supposed to have been? Tommy Griffin and Connie Branham, who also come up dead. Yeah. Uh, And and they gave me police escort, even the police, even the uh, FBI and the State Bureau of Investigators. I had a six police car escort from the courthouse to, I was surrounded by officers. My motel room, they never left my, I mean, there, it was secure. <laughs> they told me my nickname. Well, they, they said, Tina, they're going to try to run you off this mountain. You're going to be lucky if you make it home. Let them take you. Cause I didn't want the police escort. Oh, I don't need, well, I did. And then uh, the two dirty ass cops in Sevier County are the two that met at the Tennessee line up there. And they drove me to my door uh, well, it was later that night that I started getting threats that I was the next after Tommy. And I heard what was said over in court, which we'll talk about that when we have more time because it's lengthy. And uh, I found, Heather, some more stuff that you'd be interested in uh, today. I forgot to tell you that, the paperwork that I had missing. But, uh, you know, he stepped in my blood. There was a, a footprint in the blood well, they found blood between his toes at the jail. While he's in jail, he's in there taking off a piece of metal to build a shank. He's going to shank somebody, but they have to strip him down, and he got violent with them. They had to put him on, a, you know, in the chair. Oh, I've read so much stuff about even when he was in jail, like he would pee through the slot where they were. He'd pee on the guards and stuff when they'd go to serve his food and all kinds of crazy shit. The guy is nuts. He's batshit. And he had the means and he had the motive and he was not shy about, about hiding his motive. He was not no, afraid. He, stand, he was, he was belligerently proud about it. He would state things like, well, my girls. And I thought, there we go. Cause like he's a pimp or something. And he, he was very uh, demeaning in the way that he presented about women. Well, apparently it's not illegal to be an asshole. It's just illegal to do all the other. <laughs> right. But anyway. He still kept getting away with it. Tina, I have five minutes left before I have to shut this okay. down. But before I do, I just, I, I do want to say that you are a very strong woman and I really appreciate, you know, you've been through so much and I have a lot of respect for you. I have a lot of respect for your desire. When you reached out to me because, and I want it on the record that you actually reached out to me, which was amazing. And one of the first things you said was you you thanked me for um, actually coming forward to the public with this, because it's something that yeah. even though you had been trying in the past to get people to listen to you, nobody was really listening to you. Nobody no. wanted to run with this. And I'm the first person to actually run with it. But yes, you want to uh, I do want to also mention before we jump oh. off here that um I, I do want to mention before we jump off here that um, that you actually saw, and, and you are a tried and true Sevier County girl, so you know all about Sevier County. You know, you mentioned to me that people would tend to congregate at the Huddle House after the bars closed. 
Oh yeah. Um, Gary Sutton's alibi um, was, you know, which was presented to the court by testimony from uh, Carolyn uh, Weaver um, Miller, Weaver Miller. Um, and I think back then she was Weaver, but she had testified yeah. that she was with um, Gaines and Gary at the time <laughs> they claimed that this murder occurred. And essentially they, they, um, they told them that they were lying and they were not at the huddle house. Well, I found it very interesting that you happened to mention in one of our, in our very first conversation that you knew that that couldn't have happened when they said it did. Cause you saw them, you were there that night along with half of Sawyer County, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Any drinker, anybody knows. Okay. There was two things you knew by day we were at the river and by night, if we weren't at the bar, or if we closed up the bar, it was the huddle house because it was 24 hours. It was cheap and we could all go there. Uh, I saw them that night and I know because of what happened that night. I knew the manager because I used to work with him elsewhere. So when I dropped my keys in the toilet, <laughs> again, don't judge me. I was a young drunk. Okay. So I go into the bathroom and I dropped my whole set of keys and I was just so embarrassed. And I remember James being there. I remember, you know, Gary, you know, his girlfriend, Carolyn, and uh, just the whole gang. And then my people that I worked at Dixie Stampede with. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, everybody's looking and the guy's having to dig in the drain for my keys. So that's a night I had everybody was riding with me and my dually. So I had to pack them in. You go, I'm not going anywhere with it. I'm like, we're not going anywhere. But yeah, I saw him that night. And I even came forward with that. I went as far as to get this, the one of the, I won't say her name, but early in this investigation, uh, in the 90s, right after it happened and they found me, I agreed to tell a few facts. And one of the facts was I was able to get the social security number, address, telephone number for the manager that was working that night that remembered and it was still fresh but nobody wanted to hear that or act on it right. i tried to give so, a, so it's, it's amazing because you have so much information that would have been really pertinent for gary's trial but tina i'm gonna have to wrap this up and we will cool. talk again very soon thank you so much everybody Bye. Uh, have yeah, a good Heather, day. you just stay safe and keep doing what you're doing because he's blessed to have you you're an angel Oh, well, I appreciate that. I'm doing everything I can. Justice for Gary. Justice for Gary. Okay, folks. So I'm going to wrap this up with a conclusion. You've heard from Tina Hartman. That is the woman who was attacked by Lester Johnson in Cherokee, North Carolina. When he attacked her on that day, he was demanding to know what happened to his cousin, Mike Vaughn. We also know that Tommy Griffin and Connie Branham were being subpoenaed to testify in that trial that he walked away from, that he was found not guilty of, even though he was found in the bathroom with her blood on him. Somehow he escaped those charges. It's unfortunate that this man got away with so much. And as you heard from Tina, other people have died because of all of this. It all started with Mike Vaughn.
Folks, Mike Vaughn was attacked. Lester Johnson was vindicating him for that attack. He cut Tina Hartman's throat in his pursuit of vindicating Mike Vaughn. He also killed Tommy and Connie for the same reason. That is what happened. And that is the truth, the whole truth. So help me God. Gary Sutton is innocent and he needs to be exonerated. End of story. Peace. We will not surrender. We will fight. We will stand for what is right because we.